Welcome to another episode of Two Curious Podcast. I'm Chao Ming. I'm Dana. And today we have with us Sergio all the way from Bahrain. So tell us more a bit about yourself and what you do, Sergio. Hi, guys. Uh, well, like you said, I am from Bahrain. I, um, in the daytime, I, uh, I'm a graphic designer. Uh, I had, I've had around like 10 years now working in the field. And I also own a uh, board games uh, coffee shop here in Bahrain. So, um, uh, like people come in and play board games uh, at the place. Uh, it's a uh, fantasy themed and, uh, you know, for everyone who enjoys uh, video games and, uh, you know, fantasy shows and stuff like that. And I also have a podcast as well, which I started around six months ago or something like that. Oh, okay. So maybe you That's can tell cool. us what your podcast is about. Uh, well, my podcast is mostly about um, like t- topics, uh, philosophy, spirituality, uh, history, sometimes conspiracy theories and stuff like that. So it's just there to challenge people's you know, already established beliefs and stuff like that. So I present ideas to them. Don't, I don't delve too deep into evidence and stuff like that, but I just tell them like, you know, there's this thought that some people believe in something like that. So, you know, what do you think? Or there's something like that. Or the government is hiding this or stuff like that. So it's just, uh, just to kind of spark imagination and people questioning what's going on and like their reality and stuff like that. Ooh, that's really interesting. What, yeah, what is it called? Yeah. Uh, it's called uh, Paradigm Shift. And the name of Paradigm Shift came because I kind of believe that we are sort of on this verge of a, a very big spiritual awakening that is happening around the world. You can see people are just like, you know, like uh, the protests and riots everywhere, unlike any time before, because people can no longer accept you know, like a ruling class over them. So you, so you feel people are naturally evolving into the state where we need a change happening. We need something happening. And like, you can also feel how everyone is at ease when talking about, you know, psychological disorders. And like, you know, when you talk about depression and anxiety and stuff, this is very different than how our parents and grandparents used to deal with topic like that. So as well as spirituality and moving away from like established religions and going more into spiritual ideas and thoughts and stuff like that. So you feel this in the, in the world, people are kind of changing their perceptions and they're going through this, you know, shift where the next generation and the one after it will, will have a much easier, you know, discussion about topics like that. Unlike, you know, 200, 300 years ago, as opposed to now. Especially with social media. Especially yeah. social media, exactly. Like if you look at YouTube right. and you look at Instagram and you have these pages which have like millions of followers and every topic is like, you know, spiritual and like inviting people to just be as one and loving each other and stuff like that, as opposed to the divisiveness of of, of established religions, of anything that was before. Now the whole thing is like, let's all be together. Let's all be one, you know, let's all come together. So yeah, even when, when it comes to racism, for example, and the rejection of racism that now we're seeing happen everywhere. So yeah. Okay, so for the listeners wondering, a lot of us uh, will be wondering how did we come across Sergio. So the other day I was just scrolling through Reddit and I saw a post made by Sergio himself. Yeah, so 
Yep. So he wanted to speak about what was actually happening in Beirut. So I reached out to him to try to understand more about what was happening and exactly why the explosion happened since Sergio mentioned that he has family in Beirut. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So how is your family coping in Beirut actually? Well, I mean, things are a little bit better now, but uh, it wasn't at the start. My mom lives in an area where she was affected by the blast. Um, it's not as bad as the other places. So not everything, you know, like she wasn't physically hurt or anything, but the, the apartment she's in, all the windows and anything and the like, she had the framed aluminium, like she closed the balcony and stuff like that to make it into a specific special room. So all of them w- fell in into the house. She was sleeping at the time. So you can imagine like sleeping and waking up to that sound and seeing everything around you shattered, shattered. She said, she called me and she said that I can't walk anywhere because there's literally glass on the floor everywhere, everywhere. So she was really shaken up and she called me at the st- immediately when it happened. So I knew it happened before social media, before the news, because like immediately it happened and she picked up the phone to call me and she was like, Listen, something bad happened, but don't worry. I'm safe. I'm okay. I'll call you back once I see how bad the damage is, like what just happened. So I was like, okay, okay. And then I jumped on Twitter and I want to see like, okay, what, what, what happened? Anyone has any news, anything reporting? And then as always, uh, you know, it takes like 10, 15 minutes to kind of, you start getting the news and you start hearing other people and they talk about it. So. She was really shaken up about it. Now she's better, but she kind of still needs, she still has like these moments. She calls me and she says like, you know, I'm feeling bad. I'm sad. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm stuck and stuff like that. Slowly trying to, you know, put things back together. Was she alone at home? She is alone. She is alone. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have a sister uh, who lives there as well, but she lives in an area which is far it's around uh, an hour drive from, from the blast. She's heard something which she thought was an earthquake. So she didn't really pay yeah. attention to it. She just felt like an earthquake. She's like, okay. But later she realized how, how bad it was. Does Beirut get earthquake several times in a year? Yeah, or? Man, that's a good uh, question, really? actually. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not really. It's like <laughs> when I was living there, because I, I, I moved there around, I moved out from, from Beirut around 10 years ago, uh, but I visit uh, twice a year. So I always go there. Uh, however, uh, like I think in my entire lifetime, three earthquakes happened. So it's very rare, but it does happen. So it's not like out of the ordinary, just like something to talk about. So maybe you can give the listeners some context about uh, and give a short recount on what actually happened on the 4th of August, uh, especially the, ex- the explosion itself, because uh, we are coming all the way from uh, Singapore and you know some of our listeners, listeners may not be aware of uh, this thing that happened in Beirut. Yeah. So basically uh, on August 4 uh, at 6 p.m. local time in, in Beirut, suddenly like, you know, Everything was fine because as of 
as of recently, like the whole area of the Middle East has been going through some turbulent problems. So you have a civil war in Syria, you have stuff happening in Iraq, you have things happening in Palestine and Israel as always and stuff like that. But Lebanon, for the first time in a very, very long time, everything was peaceful, everything was nice. So basically, so no one was expecting anything. There was no indication, there is no looming war in the in the future, nothing like that. And out of nowhere, this unbelievable explosion, like this explosion, we've been through civil war, 15 years of civil war from 1975 to 1990, Lebanon had gone through the civil war. And after that, there was always this kind of, we were trying to pick ourselves up for the past, since 1990 till 2020. And it's still not going because, you know, things are so complicated. We'll get into that. But basically, no destruction had, had been this massive on Beirut as this explosion, not even during the civil war. So, so this came out of nowhere and the, 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 the damage, the amount of damage, because the area of where our, this is the, the main uh, import export port of our, of, of Lebanon, not just of Beirut. So everything goes through there and, I've come to realize now that this is the like the fifth most most advanced uh, port in the entire Mediterranean Sea. So it was really big and it was important, and we didn't know that it was that important, you know. So, and the the way it is built, it's so close to where civilians live. It's like literally across the street. I'm not joking. Like there's the port, there's a highway, which is around six lanes, and then you have people living. That's it. That's where they live. And those areas are, are one of the ancient areas which have been in, in Beirut since like maybe more than 200, 300 years. Like these are really populated areas where the building is still old, but it's kind of the charm of the city, you know? So it's like, it's, yeah. it's very artistic area. Like you have all the nightclubs are there, all the pubs, uh, artistic, um, you know, festivals happen there. So it's a really, really crowded place. And it's the summer, which when all these things happen. Now, plus coffee shops and everything, everything. It's like, and yeah, just out of nowhere, this thing just completely exploded. We had no idea that there were materials that was put there unbelievably in an unprofessional way. So basically it's like the fault of this falls down on the government 100,000%. Like there is no denying it. There is no... This is it. It's their fault. And Lebanon is so corrupt when it comes to the government that till now, imagine it's been what this is 25, 26 days later, not a single person resigned. No one took responsibility. They try to arrest one or two people, but they are like, you know, not the big people, not the big shot, not the people who are actually responsible. You know, when you have like a scapegoat, right? So they just, decide, okay, well, let's arrest this person and try to investigate and so that the government, so that the mm-hmm. public sh- shuts up, but nothing has happened. And yeah, what, what we know is that there's this, apparently uh, th- there was this uh, ammonium nitrate, which was stored in, um, in the port in a very, un- uh, very unsafe way. And it's been there for six years. So since 2014, where it, it it came to Beirut. And for the past six years, there have been people begging, basically, those in charge, 
to remove that material. They're saying this is very dangerous. This is high explosives. This is flammable. Please remove it. Please remove it. And no one's doing anything about it until yeah. 6 p.m. And it completely went out. It's, it's a complete disaster from there. Yeah. yeah. It's actually crazy because I read on an article that it says that the president is actually saying that the explosion might have been caused by a bombing from, I don't know, a terrorist Israel. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's always this, uh, like the chance to, like whenever something like this happens, okay, they will, everyone will start blaming everyone else, you know? So they will say, yeah. I didn't know that there was ammonium nitrate or Israel bombed us or a terrorist attack or something like that. So there's always, a, but even if it was like, like just so you understand where the public is right now. So we have been through like this war with Israel since for like what, 40 years now. And we've been bombed by Israel before and we've had stuff happen. So we, we are aware of this and we, we, it is a possibility. But everyone, like from the public and the riots that happen after the explosion is aware that even if it was a hit by Israel, we, we still hold our own government responsible because the fact that they hit that area, because Israel, when, whenever they used to bomb places in Lebanon, they always bomb them strategically and they usually are military locations or like, you know, for, I'm not sure how familiar you are with, with Hezbollah and the terrorist groups and stuff like that that we have, but they would bomb those areas. So not civilian areas. We even in 2006 we they, we were under attack and I was living there and I remember we would uh, there would be planes f- passing by during the day where they would um, throw flyers at certain areas mm-hmm. and if you pick up a flyer which I picked up personally it would say that this is from Israel that we are from Israel telling civilians don't be in this area from like 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. because we will be bombing you, you know, like that. So because those would be strategic areas and they don't want to kill everyone, you know, so they yeah. would like, like stay away from civilians that area. Are exactly. They don't know, no civilians are attacked. So so the mm-hmm. fact that they would attack a civil, like such a civilian area with such devastating effect on it, first doesn't sound like them, but let's say it mm-hmm. was... The topic is that they knew that there is a highly explosive material in that area. So the fact that that material exists there is 100% on our government. It's not going to be blamed on someone else. This is our fault, basically. So that's... Yeah, because it was... It was like inviting trouble already. It was prone to it. Exactly uh, inviting trouble. Exactly. Because, see, once you go deeper into this material, you realize that this material is used to to make weapons. So this is not just like, because ammonium nitrate have different types of, um, uh, like, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's a percentage in it once you study it, once you, you know, chemically know what it's made of. And if it's below 30%, it would be used as fertilizer. Whereas if it's above 30%, it's used in rocket launchers and in, in manufacturing of bombs and stuff like that. And this material, it was above 30%. So the purpose of it was to make bombs, was to make yeah. rockets. So it definitely was weaponized or, or needed to be weaponized. And the fact that they would hit that area or would just completely store highly explosive areas, uh, material in that area is alone unethical and should yeah. be illegal. Yeah. So ever since that explosion, uh, we've we've read on the news that the prime minister has actually stepped down. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. That's so right. what do you think? 
yeah, what do you think would be the ideal uh, solution for the country uh, in terms of like how the government should be reformed? Well, just so you guys know that uh, the prime minister stepping down doesn't mean anything because the prime minister oh. stepping down is sort of like a like a theater play. We we understand these games that they play. So he is simply mm-hmm. a sort of like a puppet in in the real government that runs Lebanon. So. Him stepping down is just a way to absorb the the riots that have happened in the streets and to tell people, see, look, we're doing something. Look, the prime minister stepped down. But that's that's it's literally nothing. Like even when he stepped down, people were like, yeah, you think we're gonna buy this? Like we've been through this a million times. So this is like you know, like, we're not gonna we're not gonna stop. There's actually another yeah. protest planned two days from now. Yeah, we we know that it's not it's nothing. So. Ideally is is a really like it's a very big word that we kind of don't have too much hope for anymore because we've been trying to to change the the, sh- the system in Lebanon for, since I was 15 years old like this is 20 years ago and uh, of course ideally is for the entire cabinet to 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 resign we're talking the president the prime minister the head of the parliament and everyone who is under them, because all these people are, they come from different political parties and different uh, sects, religious sects, but they don't, they all work together. So you have this kind of idea where we think we have democracy and we think we have freedom of choice to choose whether we want this political party or that political party, but they, it's all the same because they're all in it, on it together. And they kind of all protect each other. And if someone, you know, fails at some point, the others will come and, and, and protect them. And in Lebanon, we have a sectarian uh, system in the government uh, that was put in place in order to stop the civil war because our civil war was religious in nature. So it wasn't just ide- ideologic or anything like that. So we had like... If you're a Christian, you are killing a Muslim. And if you're a Muslim, you are killing another one. And it's literally you would die based on your ID and what it says. We used to have IDs that said what my religion is on it. Like it's that sectarian in Lebanon. And uh, during that civil war, like if you would pass a roadblock uh, made by regular people, not even like the government or anything, and they would be like, show me your, show me your ID. What, what's your religion? And if I'm Christian, for example, and he's a Muslim, normal that he would shoot me in the head right there and there. And same thing goes for Christians and Muslims as well. So Christians kill a lot of Muslims, Muslims kill a lot of Christians. It was like an insane religious war. So in 1990, the the Arab countries got together along with some European countries like France and, and, and Germany and stuff. And they said, okay, so we need to stop this because it has been happening for 15 years. And we need to put this sectarian law in which always, always, so that everyone has representation in the government and no one feels that, you know, they're being repressed or oppressed or whatever, uh, that the president is always a Christian, the prime minister is always a Muslim Sunni, and the head of parliament is always a Muslim Shia, which is a different sect. And it's been like this, but this actually has caused more problems than, than it has solved. So, 
because of the religious war. Because of the religious war and because they are always the same people who are always there. So it's not like you get people who are qualified for the job. It's like, what's your qualification to become the president? Well, I'm Christian. Oh, okay, then. Okay, go ahead. You can become president. You know, like there is no qualification. What did you study? Not zero completely. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not based on the capabilities of the person. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no. Like imagine it on a, on a racial level. So someone is telling you that the president will always be like black. The prime minister will always be Asian. The, yeah. uh, the head of will always be Arab, like that. So it's like, okay, what else can you provide? Nothing. It's just literally how I was born. That's it. There's nothing else yeah. as qualifications. So, yeah. So even though the government, uh, the people are asking for the government to change, eventually everything is just going to repeat itself like a vicious cycle. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. We, we keep asking for change and we keep getting the same thing. Even if different people, different faces show up, but it doesn't matter because they follow the same stuff. So they have the same political parties behind them, the same ideologies. So nothing's changing. So is the riot now um, uh, trying to abolish this whole system? Or... Yes, definitely. It's still currently ongoing? Well, I mean, it's ongoing to an extent because... First, you, there's, uh, after the explosion and the riots in the streets, there was a whole rise uh, in the, you know, for the pandemic and the coronavirus and all that. So that also yeah. is coming into play. And that forced the health uh, minister to kind of put everyone on lockdown for, for two weeks uh, because the numbers rose exponentially. And it became yeah. like, because Lebanon was dealing with, with the whole pandemic actually better than, than, than most countries. They didn't have too many cases. Things were okay. Because the first, when the first, you know, the pandemic hit and like, I think there was the, the first patient came into Lebanon and they realized they immediately like closed the airport. Like no one is coming in anymore, you know, for, for like two months or something. Mm-hmm. Nothing was leaving. Nothing was coming in. So they were able to contain it. But, you know, the world is trying to open back up and all that. And now because of the riots and because of what happened, there was a whole rise. It, it it spiked. So now people are trying to stay safe while maintaining, you know, a kind of like a virtual <laughs> protest or some riot going on on social media or something like that. But they keep asking for new ones. So like on September 1, there's going to be a new a new riot happening. Yeah. So we're making use of the, the internet we have now too. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's like the best thing. Yeah. 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 It's lucky we have the internet now. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. Like, imagine, like, now I'm just sitting, talking to you guys. I've never met you before. Yeah. We don't know. So it's kind of, like, really awesome how... Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like we... <laughs> people don't get their news from news channels anymore, right? Like, you, if, you, if you just open yeah. up, like, you, like I think Cha was telling me that, okay, you, there's only so much you can know from, from online, from the news channels. Okay, something happened in Beirut. There yeah. was an explosion, something, but... But to get to the bottom, to understand that like, you have to talk to people, right? So, yeah. Yeah, there's the power of internet that we are able to do this now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so back to back to the explosion. I, I understand that um, the other countries are coming in to help with the current situation. Am I right? Yes, yes. The international support has been really, you know, overwhelming and heartwarming to an extent because we felt for the first time in a long time that we are not alone, you know, because mm-hmm. we've had bad stuff happen before, but the way everyone came 
together in this was really like overwhelming. I could see the reactions online and yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was good. However, we, we are definitely asking all the international support, uh, that everyone is begging any country or any, you know, anyone who is, uh, people who are, you know, creating, uh, you know, funds and, uh, you know, to, to, to help and all that, not to, you know, give the money to the government because no one trusts the government. So people are like, just give us, give it, give the money to non-profit organization. Make sure you're talking to the people themselves who is taking your, the money that we're receiving and all that. Just don't help the government or like the ministry of defense or the ministry of health. Don't do that because we don't trust them. They're going to take yeah. the money for themselves, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. I read it on articles. Yeah. They were saying that, um, banks have been shutting down and the government is actually preventing the citizens from withdrawing their own money. Is that true? Yeah, that actually is a, is a, it's a, it's a problem on its own that happened before the explosion. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that adds to everything Lebanon has been going through. We, we've had a very, very bad economic recession happen in, uh, since around, yeah. since last October. So, uh, and we're being subject to sanctions put by, uh, on us by, the U.S. and others, there's also like other political games. So we don't have um, a lot of currency, like the actual liquid liquid currency. And because of that, the banks are not allowing people to withdraw money. If it's Because in Lebanon, the system is that we use two currencies. It's been put like this since forever, and I don't know why. And it's really hurt us because we use our currency, the, the Lebanese pound, and we use the U.S. dollar. So we have two currencies circulating in the in the in the inside the country and now there there's not enough us dollars anymore like the papers themselves we don't have so there's been this complete shutdown and um, on the entire economy and uh, the banks don't allow people to withdraw like more than 100 or 200 us dollars per week which is nothing yeah. so that alone is yeah. a problem and now that people around the world are sending in help. Like they, they are trying to figure out how we're going to receive it as well. So not only like, do we want the money not to go to government, but also when you send it, how are we going to receive it? Cause we don't even have access to the money that that's in the bank accounts. Yeah. Especially so with the inflation, uh, with exactly. the amount of limited money that you can withdraw, how are you going to be exactly. able to buy foods? Good yep. 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 Yeah. Exactly. It's it's crazy how we're hearing that um a government and the people who are ruling over Lebanon can be so corrupt as compared to Singapore where where we complain over the the smallest things. So can you give oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Can oh, you yeah. give some examples? I've heard some complaints to... and to me it's like like when I when I see <laughs> complaints from other countries, especially like you know, Singapore and you know these yeah. like to us these what you guys live is the dream. You know what I mean? Like we don't even yeah. have that. It's not even in our reality, you know what I mean? Like and sometimes like yeah. but that's when it comes to what standards you have, right? So it's like everyone right. will look at, at the higher standard and see, oh, they are doing so much better or something. But like, what, what do you guys complain yeah. about so that I get an idea, for example? <laughs> uh, I think it was all very... Uh, really, really small things. Yeah. Anything. 
uh, I mean, because of the COVID pan- pandemic that hit us, mm. uh, maybe the more uh, the more current um, complaints that we have is actually from the food and beverage uh, industry where they are not getting enough funding uh, because their businesses can't run because of COVID. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we were complaining about how uh, the, the government support that we are receiving now is not um, fair. Yeah, so these are the small things that we actually complain so, about. So well. did the COVID-19 affect the economy there? Like, is it a big hit or was it handled okay? It was handled by the government in a way that uh, they actually provided relief um, support like by actual monetary means. And let's say uh, in terms of rental, uh, they are actually mm. providing help. Yeah, but you know, some some businesses aren't able to sustain with the help that we're receiving. Yeah, so yeah. these are just some yeah. small complaints that we are that we are asking more. Yeah, from the government, especially how um COVID actually um impacted us in a way that uh there was a class a big cluster form due to uh them mishandling the domestic workers in uh, our country. Yeah, yeah the migrant yeah. workers. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah, so these are just some of the complaints that we have in Singapore. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think the migrant thing because where I live now in in Bahrain, we also have that that issue when it comes to the migrant workers, because those were the the areas where COVID wasn't able to be contained, uh, as opposed to like right. locals and stuff like that. And the government here also helped um, small businesses and stuff. So, for example, my my yeah. my business, the coffee shop, I was also re- I received help from the government in order to 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 stay in business. But I think, like you said, that COVID affected anyway the uh, the small businesses a lot more than the big ones because there is no money or any kind of you know capital to support yeah. something like this. So hopefully, it will all end soon, and uh, you know we'll yeah. go back to normal. Hopefully, we'll see the end soon. Twenty twenty oh, yeah. is just not starting out, and yeah, we are like midway through, and it's just getting worse. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't finish. <laughs> Yeah, so speaking yeah. about government, I'm just very interested in how corrupt actually is the Lebanese government because it's just hard to imagine and hearing all mm. these inputs from you just sound really unreal. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have some examples of but, how... Like, you could think like, I think maybe this guy, he doesn't support the government. That's why, you know, he's against <laughs> them so much. Yeah, but yeah. It can't be really bad. <laughs> I'll tell you how bad it is, okay? And I gave this example yeah. in another interview that someone did. Mm-hmm. You know how, for example, in other countries, when someone from the government wants to do something which is illegal, let's say he wants to embezzle, he wants to take money, do something illegal, he has to do it mm-hmm. in ways so that other people in the government don't know that he did it, right? So he goes through channels, mm-hmm. he tries to do it illegally, he bribes one person, something like that, and maybe he will get away with it. In Lebanon, it's so corrupt that they don't even need to do that, that everyone is so in on it, including the police, including the law, Mm -hmm. the judges and the lawyers and stuff, that like if someone does something illegal to me, like I'll give you this example, okay? So I'm driving down the streets and there is this, um, uh, let's say some big shot, let's say a minister is passing by. And you know how they, when like, when ministers drive uh, in the streets or anything, they have, you know, like a motorcade with them, right? So you have the bikers, you have cars protecting them, bodyguards and stuff like that. So let's say I do something that I get, you know, uh, face to face with one of the bodyguards and he comes and hits me. 
like he hits me in front of everyone or, or kills me or does something illegal, which has happened, by the way. So I'm giving actual examples of people who have suffered this. So let's say someone does this to someone else. There is no one to go and complain to that this happened. So I can't even go to the police and tell them that someone did this to me because the police is with them. So they'll just tell me, yeah, yeah good. okay, good for you. Go home. There's nothing I can do for you. Like, there's nothing you can do. There's no one to, to go and complain to. Like, look, this person is doing something illegal. Uh, yeah, so basically, just to, yeah, to give you that example, which is, it's so corrupt that everyone is in on it. There is no one who wants to do the right thing other than the public. So, like I said, there is no one to complain to, no one to go and tell Look what this government official did. Look what this minister did, everything. And we've heard rumors about money that has been transferred out of Lebanon for the past 20 years from our government people. And it's within the hundreds of billions of, of US dollars. Numbers that while the government, while the, while the country is actually like in recess and, and, and we have debts on, on us and, and all the problems that we have, our, government people just completely are filthy, filthy rich, like numbers which we can't even comprehend how rich they are because all they do is just completely take all the money for themselves. They don't fix. We don't have good infrastructure. We don't have good healthcare system. We don't have good educational system. Nothing, nothing, basically nothing. Are they helping you all in any way with the restoration efforts for after the explosion? Or no effort is done at all? Not from the government. People have volunteered. Like you have these different uh, non-profit organizations. You have scouts. You have uh, uh, small, mil- like uh, what do you call, like uh, healthcare workers and stuff like that. Like they're all all volunteers. No one is get- like. Even my mom told me this. Yes, two days ago she told me. So she got someone to actually come and fix the windows for her. Right. So it took a while and everything, but she was able to restore things. And she said that while people were working uh, on the balcony, uh, trying to, you know, put everything back together, she saw a group of seven to eight, around 28 year olds, 20 to 23 year, uh, uh, years old uh, kids uh, who were like, oh, you were damaged. Can we come up and talk to you? And mama was like, sure. Okay. Come up. So they came up the building. She lives on the second floor. And uh, they were like, uh, do you need any help? We are giving food. If you need something, we have this box. Do you need money? Do you need anything like that? Now, no, it's good. My mom is, is, is well off. So she was like, no, it's okay. I don't need food. Give it to someone else who might need it or anything. But these are just like, you know, normal people, like everyday, like you and me and everyone just going around, gathering from their own money, their own pockets, make, getting food, walking around the streets, who has damage in his house, who might need help, stuff like that. So it's like people taking care of themselves and of their own, nothing mm-hmm. from the government. Like imagine how bad it is that they would, when, when, when buildings collapsed because of the explosion, okay, you would have like the government sent the workers to, to help with the rebels, right? Like they want to remove everything, you know, the stones, look for people who are dead. When it gets yeah. nighttime, which is like when, when the sun sets around 7 p.m., they stop working because there's no light. Mm-hmm. Like, they, oh, you know, our shift is over. We're going to go, go home. We'll come back tomorrow. And people are like buried under, you know, like you could actually, some would hear them screaming from under the, the, uh, the, the rubble and everything. It's like, yeah. yeah. And, and they would be like, no, you know what? My shift ended. I'm, I'm going to go. And 
the, the people who are there, like the, the public, would stay and they would say how they would use their phone, the, the light on their phone, just to kind of like look around because there's no electricity, there's no power, there's nothing, there's nothing. You're talking like complete darkness. And they would start like, uh, you know, shedding light, like, do you see anything there? And they would remove, you know, broken cement and stones and stuff to, to kind of pick up people from under. Until morning comes, and then when the morning comes, the other people come, like from the government. Hey, we're back. Okay, now we're going to help. It's like, this is a disaster. Like, people should be, you know, like working 24 mm. hours for this. Not like that. It's not a job. It's not a daytime job. So it's that bad. And there's nothing you can do. There's, who do you go to? There's no one to go to. You know, like, what do you do? Yeah, we yeah. understand the riots are there to throw the government out of uh, parliament and everything. But... Even if they leave, who who will be the ones that um the people who are trying to bring up the power? Who who mm. are you all looking to to lead? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, well, this is a bit of an issue because there is no leader to the to to our protest or, or riots or stuff like that. So it's not like we, there is someone who's moving things behind the scenes and someone wants to benefit. So it's kind of like just the public in the street, just you know, rioting. That's it. Just we don't want you. Now, the end goal of this, we know that, that our political system is too complicated and our situation in the Middle East is too complicated. So whoever is in power in our country is not in power just like that. There is a very big political plan for the Middle East. You have countries in power who put these pieces, you know what I mean? Like someone's going to be in, 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 in Lebanon, someone's going to be in Syria. So like there, there's a whole plan going on that we've, come, we've become very used to, to something like this. So our aim is to put so much pressure on the international, uh, you know, like committee or something for them to interfere and do something about it. This is the goal of it. So we've had a visit from the French president who came like two days after the explosion happened and he was walking in the streets and everything and checking up. And he said he's going to come back September 1, I think, which is why now that I think about this, which is why there's a protest to kind of show him that things, you know, we're not happy and all that. But basically the point of the riots and the protests are to get the international, you know, mindset to, to, to kind of intervene, intervene in Lebanon and do like, okay, you know, we have to do something about Lebanon. We have to put some pressure, some sanctions, something like that in order for change to happen. We have people who we believe will be good. Like they, like, for example, we know that this person who used to be like the, the, the coach of a basketball, of the Lebanese basketball team, who's now very old, like we could, he could be good as our, you know, like sports minister, you know, something like that. Or someone who's an artist, she would be good. She's like this director who was nominated for an Oscar or something. She would be good for our arts minister or, you know, stuff like that. So we have people who we believe that, you know, at least there's a change. But as of for now, we just want the attention. We just want the world to know that things are not okay. We cannot be quiet about this anymore. That's why everyone's in the street. And that's why I'm calling them riots and not protests because we want, mm. we want violence, basically. You know, we want to make a statement. It's, we, can, we have to be loud. We can no longer just be like, we're protesting in the street and, you know, we're not happy. No, it's like, look, we're burning things. We're going to destroy cars and buildings and stuff because we can no longer handle this life like that. Mm. How's the government actually reacting to all these riots? Are they uh, using 
uh, the police to you yeah, know, stop definitely, the Yeah, definitely. The police, there is uh, force, they're shooting uh, water, uh, rubber bullets at us. There were some yeah. kind of uh, hints that there might be some live ammo used in one of the riots that happened. But no, no one actually died, but there were people who were injured and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with, with, with a group of people who have nothing to lose anymore, like we, we're not, you know, they're not afraid anymore. Like for me, I, I wish this whole pandemic was not there so I can travel there and join them in the street and, you know, like fight with them and everything because you, you feel like you can no longer stay quiet about it. You need to, to, to do something. Are the airports still closed? It's actually like an mm-hmm. hour, uh, two hours uh, flight from, from where I live now. So it's really close, Beirut, to where mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, so, but uh, mm-hmm. I can't go because of, of the, the, the lockdown and everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. I've heard about the group called Hezbollah. So mm. do, they have a, yeah, do they have an impact on the political situation as well? Hezbollah is the political system in Lebanon is the political system there is it's not the impact it's them there is no one else because it's up to them who gets appointed in different places in the government they have weapons heavy heavy weapons we're not talking like guns or machine guns we're talking tanks and anti-aircrafts so and money and stuff so even if we if if even if our government wants to do the right thing. They can't because Hezbollah is in charge. You know what I mean? So, and, and our army cannot fight Hezbollah's army because that would lead to another civil war. And no one wants that. So it's like the, the, the entire country is, is, is being choked because of the presence of Hezbollah. And they, have not, they don't have the support that perhaps other countries think that they have. Like most Lebanese don't want Hezbollah. They don't want a war with Israel. They don't want to do anything with with Syria. They they just want peace. You know, just leave us alone. That's it. We just want to live. And Hezbollah's grasp on the government, on the military, on weapons, on everything, because there's actually, the the rumor is, it's not sure yet, so we cannot really blame, but the ammonium nitrate that that was in the... In the in the port actually is for Hezbollah. It it was there. They put it there in order to act, to manufacture weapons. So because what happened was that the 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 ship it was a Russian ship that brought the ammonium nitrate in 2004 uh, 14 sorry 2014 the, a Russian ship um, came and stopped at the port of Lebanon and it had the ammonium nitrate. Something happened which is too complicated. I'm not going to get into it. But basically, we took all this ammonium nitrate and we put it on Lebanese soil. Okay. Now, the amount from all the, from the, all the paperwork that we have, that we've seen and we've researched and everything is that the amount of ammonium nitrate that was on the ship was 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate, 2,700 tons, which is an unbelievable number. All right. Now, experts have said that if that amount had exploded, if that's the full amount that actually exploded, then it wouldn't have made this destruction. It would have wiped Lebanon off the map completely. Like it would have been worse than than an actual nuclear bomb. So the estimate is that only 300 tons of ammonium nitrate exploded, which means that for the past six years, people have been sneaking this ammonium nitrate out of the port, that it have been used. 
So mm-hmm. when you start to like follow the, the path, you understand that Hezbollah is the one who has ordered this amount, this nitrate, put it in the port in a very uh, dangerous place and has been using it for the past six years until it exploded now. So that's the mm-hmm. whole thing. So, yeah. Wow. Just, that's yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Because from, because from what I read is that there are supporters of Hezbollah. There are people who treat them like heroes. And uh, they are, but they have lost a lot of their supporters over the years. You know, one thing to the thing is with Hezbollah, it's more on a religious level. So, so not supporting them would be going against religion. You know what I mean? Because their mm. presence is to not just fight off uh, Israel on a political level or just, you know, for my geographical level. It's because there is an end goal on a religious level. Um, uh, yeah. So basically people who like Hezbollah use this to kind of tell people that, you know, if you're not with me, you're against God, you know, that you're going to go to hell when you die. So you have to support me. But over the years, people have become more aware and they've become, they've grown tired and, you know, sick of, of this life and they've lost their supporters. So they no longer have the public support they once had. Okay, Dana, I believe you want to ask about the Kafala system. Yeah, I actually read up about some, uh, the Kafala system, also known as the sponsorship system. Okay. That have, do you know about that? Not sure. Let me know what it is. So maybe the name is a bit different. Uh, yeah, because I read on articles that the Kafala system is actually, there are laws in, uh, imposed where the hires of domestic workers actually have control of the lives of these domestic workers. And they're trying to abolish this system right now because it's unfair oh, yeah. to the yeah. migrant workers that you have over there. So this is also one of the ongoing riot that's happening in Beirut, right? Uh, yeah, actually... It, the, this thing uh, became more came into you know the light more after the economic problem that Lebanon was suffering with the U.S. dollar and all that because migrant workers they need to get paid in 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 a, in a foreign currency like in the U.S. dollar so that they can send it back home to their families right so yeah. like this is the system and people were not able to pay them anymore. Now, this brought a more of a social problem that we do have in Lebanon, which is a kind of like, like, let's say a migrant worker come and uh, let's say a woman, she comes from the Philippines, for example, because we, our migrant workers, they come from Philippines, Sri Lanka and uh, Ethiopia from Africa. All right. And uh, uh, this is the biggest uh, demographic. And yeah, Lebanon allows, for example, for me, let's say I have like a, a Filipina lady. She comes and she's going to work at home as a nanny, for example, for my kids. I could take her passport from her. It's fine. You know, mm-hmm. and and a lot of people abuse that. A lot of people I know don't do that because they're not, you know, bad people. But a lot of people abuse that and it's really bad because they end up not paying them and they end up not, they can't even leave the country or, or go somewhere else or something. So it's kind of like a modern day slavery. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that's happening. Yeah. yeah. And those migrant workers, they no longer accept it anymore also. So once the, the money was cut off, once they couldn't get paid anymore because of the crisis, Okay, and they couldn't leave, and and COVID nineteen also came in and made it even worse as well. 
now now they are rioting as well like they would go in front of like the, the, the say the ethiopian embassy and they would stand there and riot and like this is not 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 normal anymore we cannot handle it but like although that's an like i, I definitely would want something like this right like you know within human rights because i'm against anything that 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 is taking when you take away someone's freedom it's it's unethical it's, it's it should be illegal yeah. the thing is that Even locals, like even Lebanese, we don't have human rights. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. like do this, but don't hope too much because we've been protesting as well. You know, like everyone wants wants a better life, locals and immigrants. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounds so much like this whole forty-five minutes just sound like there's a little like a many problems that actually rounds up to the entire political unrest that's happening oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just an advice yeah. like don't go into lebanese politics too much because it's so <laughs> convoluted and complicated like like the information right. i have in my head i don't want it you know like it's been all my life like, <laughs> embedded in me so so yeah, yeah it's horrible it's like Yeah, it's a, as I research on uh, what's happening in Beirut right now, it just yeah. uncovers more and more stories. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, more so you find, the more you research, the more you find layers and layers and layers. Of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. maybe after uh, all these things that we've discussed, maybe you can tell us um, what are the some organizations that we can trust to actually make donations to mm. uh, that will actually help the people, the Lebanese people? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest uh, groups uh, that I keep recommending to everyone is the Lebanese Red Cross. Mm. So the Red Cross mm. is the most mm. trusted and like we, I know people who, phys- personally, I know them who are part of that group. They are all volunteers. There is no government um, penetration in it anyway at all. And any money that anyone would would ask me, I would say this is the number one group because they are the ones who uh, help uh, families with with food, providing shelter, providing medical assistance, uh, even reimbursing people who have, you know, like paid from their own pocket to to rebuild. Uh, like my mom, for example, like with her windows and stuff like that, like she could she could take the, the receipt and go to them and tell them, see, this is how much I paid. And they would like give her a percentage back, like 10%, 20%, which is like whatever, anything, you know? So they are the most, the Lebanese Red Cross is the most trustworthy uh, yeah. organization. Okay. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Nothing okay, government, to, nothing yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, to end, kind of end things off, um, I want to ask you if every government official that is in a powerful country is listening to this podcast. So what would be a message that you and the Lebanese people would want to tell them to do to help with Lebanon as as we are going through such so many different types of problems and so many different types of crisis? What is something that you would tell them and what is something that they can do to aid the people in Lebanon? Well, I think at this stage it would be to 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 actually inter interfere in Lebanon and do it where there is no political gain for them. I know that's a very very far fetched idea because in politics everyone's looking for their own, you know, their personal gain from it or or political gain, which is understandable, but. If if we can just say that okay you know everything that happened so far with Lebanon that okay no problem you know all the money that was taken all the political problems everything 
you know what, it's fine. We don't even want to prosecute these people. Just get them out of Lebanon. You know what I mean? Like, just help us remove this ruling group of elite people who cannot get enough. You know, like, like we will even forgive you for all the money you took from us, all the lives that we have lost, everything just is fine. You know what I mean? Just, okay, you got to take it and leave. Just leave. This is basically. So, so I would wish like if any political power would just help us with this aspect, just come into Lebanon, help the, the, the ruling elite leave the country and look at the people, hear what they want, listen to our problems because 90% of, of, of people in Lebanon just want to live in peace. You know, we, we love life. You know, we, like, we're kind of known in, in, in the Middle East area and even in Europe and stuff about how much the nightlife in Lebanon is so alive and so vivid. And we're just people who have been through so much. Like I was born during the civil war and I left 10 years ago because I had to take care of my own family and my son and everything. And I, and I know who's left there, my friends, my family, and everyone just wants to be happy. You know, just want, we just want to live. That's it. We don't want to interfere in other people's problems. We don't want any religious stuff. We just want to be a nice civil country. Just kind of like, you know, let us be happy. Let us live. That's it, basically. Yeah. Okay. So before we go, do you want to tell the listeners about uh, where, what are the channels that you can tune into your podcast and get to know more about you and your stories? Oh, yeah, sure. So basically, um, mostly it's on my Instagram page where I, the, the page itself is, is promoting the podcast, but I also make posts and stuff like that. So I want to create this kind of community. So it's not just a podcast on its own. Uh, so if you go to Instagram and go to and type paradigm shift podcast, uh, these three words, my page would show up. And that's where uh, basically all, all my channels are in, in like, for example, like where you can listen to my podcast, Spotify, Spotify, Apple, or I have a YouTube channel as well. And the page itself where I, I discuss certain topics and like I write some small posts every day about different things, like what movie I recommend in order to help you, you know, spiritually, what kind of thoughts to go, books to read, stuff like that. So that's where most of the work goes into my Instagram page. Okay, that's great. Right. Really awesome. Good. Okay, so with that, we have come to the end of the episode. Remember to follow us and Sergio, of course, on Instagram and all his other channel. Subscribe if you are on YouTube and be updated on our upcoming episodes. So once again, thank you so much for taking your time to join us on this episode, Sergio. And, and thank you so much for actually yeah. <laughs> contacting me and wanting to know more and stuff like that. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I hope yeah. one day we'll be able to meet face to face when oh, everything yeah. boils over. Yeah, Singapore is on my list, by the way. Like, uh, I want to do a, a, oh, whole, yeah. a whole Far East Tour. travel. So definitely Singapore is on the list. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in contact yeah. with you guys. Yeah, yeah that's, great. Sure. that's great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much all for listening to another episode of Two Curious Podcast and we'll see you again next episode. Stay safe and stay curious. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.